listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two completely opposite longtime friends. I'm Carrie, and I bring the practical buzzkill vibe to this partnership. And I'm Amy. I tend to be upbeat and social, and some people, maybe it's Carrie, say I can also be a little bit gullible. Each week, we have book nerd conversations with each other and sometimes a special guest. We not only talk about what we're reading, but also book-adjacent topics such as... Stuff we've had to Google while reading. New titles on our TBR lists. Books we've DNF'd and why. Film adaptations that we've seen. And bookish news. At the end of our shows, you'll have new books to put on your nightstand and a laugh or two along the way. Our show today, the, the theme of it is going to be not so much Valentine's Day... But Galentine's Day and Palentine's Day, we're going to talk about all those special relationships that we have. But first, anything else going on in your life? Uh, Well, we celebrated my husband's birthday last night, and I ordered a cake, a fluke cake, from a local bakery, S'more Nordic Bakery. I really love their stuff. And so I had ordered him a fluke cake, and I was going to have to go pick it up. And they said, well, you know, we close at two. And so you can pick it up from the restaurant. There's a restaurant beneath the bakery that is, they're all owned by the same people. Uh, and they said, well, you can pick it up at the, it's called Oscar's Slider Bar. And so I thought, well, shoot, if I'm going to go over there and pick up the cake, we might as well just have dinner, you know, have dinner, pick up the cake, go home and eat cake. And so that's what we did. Uh, and it was really enjoyable. One of your kids, I think, is kind of a picky eater. And this is Scandinavian-inspired food. Did well, they find something to like? He used to be a picky eater. So he's 15 now. And his girlfriend is Filipino. And so she has... Opened and, horizons for him. Yes, opened horizons. And he has been willing, you know, if mom said, try this, he'd be... <laughs> but if his girlfriend said, try this, he's like, oh. Okay, I'll of try course. this. And mm-hmm. so because of that, he has, you know, over time just decided that, oh, if I try things, I will often find things that taste really good. He's also, you know, he's 15 now. So eating a couple cheese sticks, that used to fill him up. And now I think his body is like, I need a full meal. Mm-hmm. So he tried venison and pork sausage slider. He tried that and really liked it. He didn't love the pork belly. Uh, I'm not a big fan of pork belly yeah. either. So um, personally. It's like fatty, then, fatty bacon. Yes, yeah. yeah he, did, he didn't love that. And then he had like just a couple regular cheeseburger sliders. So uh-huh. and fries and he uh-huh. got a Coke and, and, and he knew that cake was going to be at home. So he was, he was happy. We had a Norwegian exchange student several years ago, pre-COVID, and we took her to Oscar Slider Bar. Yeah. She was very excited. I mean, I don't think it was exactly like oh, what's home, your, ex- yeah. you know, but she did enjoy showing us like... Uh, you know the beet salad and the and I guess the tiny little sandwiches that mm-hmm. is what they they often eat. My favorite one there is the halloumi, which is yeah. like. Did you have a halloumi? I did not, but Dean did. Okay, yeah. So a halloumi is like this Greek cheese, but it doesn't really melt. It's really odd. I don't know why it doesn't melt, but it doesn't. But you can warm it up, and it'll get a, like a little bit gooey. And they have some sort of cabbage stuff on top of it. That one's really tasty. The problem with the s'more bakery is that they close at two and they're always posting things and I don't see it until like one and I can't get there in time. But they were posting how they had this 
dill pickle bread or something. Mm. And they said it makes a really great grilled cheese. And it just sounded so good. So I I was driving by there the other day and I stopped to see if they had the dill pickle bread. They didn't have Well, there that, are some but. things that they do have. These are seasonal. So like they have these it's called semla and it's like these cardamom rolls so they're not too sweet but then they have like this really awesome sort of like icing but it's not like heavy glaze no it's it's icing because i do love their cardamom knots those are really good well this is it's really hard to explain but when i say icing i do not like sort of the american icing it's too sweet it's not it's heavy Mm -hmm. I, i don't like it but the icings that they have are very light and they're not overly sweet. And so every year I'm excited. Like they will post, it's Semla season. And I'm like, yes, heading there because they're just a little bit sweet. I think so much of what we eat is like this overkill sweet. It's just extra. It's extra. Yeah. I don't like it. It's too much. And so I, I just, I'm a big fan of that bakery. They have a brand new storefront with lots of, they have lots of gift items, like yeah. Scandinavian items that they have imported. Yeah. That's really cool. So on to some bookish news. Louisville is not, you know, the epicenter of movie making or, you know, TV production like L.A. or Atlanta. New York or Atlanta even. But we have had, it's big news here that there is being a movie made here in Louisville and the surrounding areas that's being directed by Ethan Hawke. And he's directing his daughter, Maya Hawke. It's called Wildcat. And it is about the life of Flannery O'Connor. And his daughter, Maya, is playing Flannery. And it also stars Laura Linney and Stephen Zahn. And they've all been spotted around town. And there have been lots of photographs taken. The most recent one I saw was of um, Ethan and his daughter Maya and Laura Linney at the Drag Brunch at Lemu Steakhouse, which is a popular venue here on Saturday and Sunday mornings for a drag show while you eat a delicious brunch. So that is very exciting. I've never read any Flannery O'Connor, but I might try to read some of her short stories before I anxiously go to see this movie. I don't know when it's supposed to come out, but We knew in advance, so where I teach on Fridays was the site. They weren't actually filming right there, but it was where they had their trailers and their tents and all of the stuff. And and they would bring their small little buses. Mm -hmm. They had those. um, And so they were bringing people in and taking people. Like like, shuttles. Shuttles. Yeah, that's what it was, a shuttle. They sent us an email to let us know that this was going to be happening. So there was a security guard there when we arrived on Friday and you know, telling us where to park. And I was like, I'm teaching. And so he he showed me where they wanted the the teachers to park. And, you know, I knew this was coming. I didn't think anything of it. But then when I got there and I saw all this stuff, it was very, very exciting. And so my first class is is high schoolers. And they really, they didn't know what was going on. And so I I told them, well, Ethan Hawke is filming a movie. And, and they were like, who's Ethan Hawke? And so, you know, roll my eyes and, and <laughs> then have to tell them, you know, uh, oh, Reality Bites and Gattaca and go through sort of like Ethan Hawke's uh, IMDb list. And so then they kind of got excited, not so much Ethan Hawke. Because they also didn't know when I brought up Uma Thurman, they didn't know. Is there a song? I think I've heard that song What's the before. Song? It's a Fallout Boy song. It's called Uma Thurman. But that, I mean, that is sort of, they were, I think, babies when that came out or young children. Anyway, 
But when I mentioned Stranger Things and Robin, then their eyes lit up and and then they got excited. So that was kind of fun. The middle schoolers, they seemed excited. I had a couple of them, you know, that said, oh, I saw somebody, but... they were also calling him Ethan Hawking. So, uh, I was you know, like, a distant relative from Stephen Hawking. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, I was like, well, I I'm, yeah, I don't think you know what you're talking about, kid. So, that was kind of cool. And really, I mean, I wouldn't ever, I don't think, go up to, I, I don't want my picture taken with a celebrity or anything like that. I mean, it'd be cool to go, oh my gosh, there's so and so from way distant. But I'm not going to go up and be like, what? Can I take a picture with you? That That is not going to happen. I would be too embarrassed, embarrassed to do that. I'm like, oh, no. I, I, that doesn't mean I wouldn't stare at them Oh, yeah, I'm like totally like point and go, oh, my gosh. But, but no, I'll no, be no. a stalker in that way, but yeah. I'm not going to ask them for a, yeah. to take a picture with yeah. me, a selfie. So anyway. So I found an article here recently, and I texted it to you mm-hmm. and said, we should talk about this. But apparently there was a JCPS librarian who was sued. Now the person who sued her sued her in small claims court, even though that is totally the wrong venue to sue somebody. But I think sometimes the people who do this, they just want to sort of gum up the works. But anyway, so this teacher, she's a high school librarian in JCPS and she was being sued because of her book selections And the case was thrown out and, you know. It was thrown out because they were doing it in small claims court. In small, yeah. uh, Yeah. That's to decide cases where, you know, somebody has failed to pay or incurred cost and somebody else needs to, you know, pay them for something. You know, I'm reading this. This is an article from Louisville Public Media. And it said that the person who brought the suit argued with the judge Uh, telling the judge she had failed to cite the statute that allowed her to dismiss the case. So, you know, this sounds like one of those examples of people who think they know more than somebody who has a law degree and uh, sits as a a judge. Anyway, uh, the judge apologized to this JCPS librarian who had to, in addition to taking the day off from school to go deal with this, I'm sure had to have numerous meetings and phone calls with JCPS attorneys, And I'm sure it caused her a lot of worry because even if she felt like, you know, that it wasn't going to go anywhere, she still has to deal with it. She probably had to take one of her personal days. I wonder if she had to take a personal day. I don't know. Probably. You know. I don't know. So there's one less vacation day she has. Right. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. You know, the thing is with librarians, and I, I think this is true in, in schools and also in just library systems, not even in schools, but public library systems, librarians, you know, I know you and I put in requests for books pretty frequently to our library system. And so librarians, a lot of times the books they pick to put in their libraries are books. They're not deciding, oh, I think I want to put this. That's not a personal choice for them. They are responding to the desires and the demands of their patrons. And so with this, I mean, a high school librarian, she may have students who are requesting certain books. And so she is getting books to put in the school's library based on students' requests. Well, I don't even think this person has students in JCPS. If a parent has a problem with their kid reading a certain book, that's not the school's issue. That's the issue between the parent and the child. 
And I kind of feel like by the time somebody's in high school, let them read what they want. I mean, they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> you can yeah. say you don't want them to read it, but, uh, you know, these kids have phones. Well, and now there's several libraries across the country, and the New York Public Library is one of them, with, where they will give any, I don't know if it's any person or any person under the age of 18, access to their whole online library. Mm-hmm. And so even if they can't check it out from their own community library, they can check it out from the New York Public Library. Yeah. Library. So, In general, I think people should be allowed to read what they want to read, including stuff that maybe I personally think is garbage or have a real problem with. But they have the right to read what they want to read, just as I have the right to read what I want to read. So... That, that was a little bit frustrating. I get frustrated. I'm frustrated on behalf of that teacher or that yeah, librarian. Because it's, it's got to have been worrisome for her. Even if you think it's completely bogus. And obviously the judge thought it was completely bogus. You just never know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. What have you been reading? <laughs> I love the title of this book. So this book has a great title and it has a great first line. The title is called Dirtbag Massachusetts. By Isaac Fitzgerald. That is a good title. That's a good title. I mean, who doesn't want to read that? So it's a book of essays about his life. And the first line, this is the first line. My parents were married when they had me just to different people. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, this is drawing me completely in. So Fitzgerald, I, I, I I think he's probably in his early 40s late 30s, early 40s. Um, And he talks about the affair (laughs) that led to him and how his parents' marriage was really dysfunctional. They're still married. And it sounds like things have calmed down, which I think sometimes happens. You know, like a relationship might in the early years be really nuts. But then when people get older and tired and they sort of figure things out about themselves, it's, it's not so dysfunctional. But in the early years of their relationship, and, and while raising him, uh, they sort of allowed their own personal problems to take precedence over raising their son together in a healthy way. You know, that forms, I would say, the core of, of the essays in the book. But he also talks about his time spent as a child in Catholic churches because his parents were very Catholic and his mom worked for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Boston. And this leads him into a discussion of how rotten some of the priests were. And you may remember that in uh, the early 2000s, the Boston Globe, they blew open this huge story about pedophile priests in the Boston diocese. And so he talks about that. And then there are other essays. He talks about haircuts and he talks about bars and he talks about how to be a man, you know, and, and the type of man that he is. And he talks about what it means to be a man without falling into being an a-hole man Mm. or a toxic masculinity man. Mm -hmm. So I was mostly interested in the story of, you know, his childhood and his relationship with his parents, but I felt like there was a lot in there that was, you know, kind of interesting and made you think. So again, the the book is called Dirtbag Massachusetts by Isaac Fitzgerald. I think when you were talking to me about it, Several weeks ago, you said it kind of lulled in the middle. Like it, yes, it was. It, it, yes, it, it starts off strong, and then in the middle, I was kind of like, "What's going on?" <laughs> and then it it comes back to the family story. But again, that was what I was most interested in. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate it, um, you know. And again, it could be the difference between 
I'm a woman reading this, as opposed to how a man might feel reading this book, they might not feel that it's as uneven as what I did. But I still ended up giving it four stars. So very good. What about you? I read a book that actually one of our former guests mentioned in our 2022 year end wrap up. You know, we have different guests tell us about what their favorite book of 2022 is. And this is the book that Maggie Smith, author of Truth and Other Lies, said was her favorite. It's a book called Two Nights in Lisbon by Chris Pavoni. And it is sort of a thriller. It's about a woman named Ariel Price who goes to Lisbon with her husband, who she's been married to maybe nine or 10 months. She's not been married to him very long on a business trip. And after their first night, her husband disappears. She wakes up in the morning. He's not in bed. He's not there. She starts to get worried because he's not the type of person who would leave without leaving a note. He has a cell phone with him and he's not answering his phone. It's just completely unlike him. So she goes to the police in Lisbon and they say, well, it's been, I mean, it's only been like a few hours. Is it? And so they don't really take her seriously. After that, she goes to the embassy. And they said, well, it really hasn't been that long of a period of time. And she insists that, you know, this is unlike her husband. So after a little while, it kind of becomes an international issue because someone is driving along on a motorcycle, hands her a cell phone and talks to her and said that they have kidnapped her husband and they want three million euro ransom. Well, what happens is you get the viewpoint of the Lisbon detectives and you get the viewpoint of the CIA and you get the viewpoint of the embassy. And there's something very odd going on here because she knows somebody who can get her this kind of money. And so is she an unreliable narrator? I don't want to say, <laughs> I don't she want to say unreliable, but this book, it was a page turner. It kept me reading it when I was supposed to really be reading other things. <laughs> What I will say is that at the end, I think I gave it three and a half stars and I did enjoy it as a suspense thriller. It's because it's a man writing a female character. I kind of felt like, well, first of all, I didn't like the main character. Mm -hmm. Not that I necessarily have to like her, but she kind of felt a little not completely developed to Mm -hmm. me. And I don't know if it's because it was written by a male author and maybe he just fell short a little bit with that or as you come to find out in the story her name used to be laurel and she kind of had another life Mm. so is it because she has kind of created this new persona and that's why i feel like she's not completely developed Mm. anyway i will say it's an interesting story it made me want to visit lisbon and it was a page turner it was a good palate cleanser maybe between some more character driven books so again, that the name of that book is Two Nights in Lisbon by Chris Pavoni. Cool. We need to take a break because I need to get a little bit more coffee. And when we come back, we're going to talk Valentine's Day celebration of a uh, friendship. We're back. So on to upcoming Valentine's Day. You and I are not really going to talk about Valentine's Day. Because to me, what's more interesting, not that I don't love my husband and I'll give him a big old hug and smooch on (laughs) Valentine's Day, make him special dinner, maybe. That's more than 
watch the show he wants to watch. There you go. I I won't even make a special dinner. I mean, I'm like, nah, this is all just. Well, I will tell you something that's been happening is that there have been more days now where we have nobody in the house and I'm just making dinner for he and I. (gasps) It is really exciting. That is pretty exciting. It is. I'm just cooking for two. Yeah. Instead of five. Yeah. Because we often have my mother and father-in-law over and one of our sons often eats with us. And another son is here temporarily. He's leaving just in the next few days to take on a new job. But, um, you know, it's been a kind of a full house and it's so nice for it just to be quiet. Yeah. And my husband and I. And so maybe on Valentine's Day, that will be the there case. There you go. Probably not, but maybe. Who knows? Yeah. But what I do love is I love this trend of Valentine's Day that Parks and Recreation started. Leslie Nope started it and i kind of love that celebration of uh, a friendship and so today we're going to talk about as long as it as long as i don't have to like go anywhere oh okay well you know well how about reading it in a book yeah celebrate it by reading in a book okay so we're going to talk about some books today that celebrate female friendship and we have each have i think one that's male friendship but i will tell you and i don't know if this is a lack of it being in books or maybe just not in the books that I read, but I could not find very many books that I had read about male friendships. Well, I even Googled. I mean, there were some that I thought of right away. I thought of two immediately, like sort of Palantines. But then I was like, okay, well, you know, everybody sort of knows those. And so I started Googling like books about male friendships and there, I mean, compared to what you will find if you Google books about female friendships, you know, not uh, f- fictional. Mm-hmm. Holy moly, the difference in what's available is pretty stark. Yeah, I think it's a it's a deficit in the publishing community. Well, a little I, bit, you know, you I wonder though if it's also. I mean, <sighs> male friendships and female friendships seem like they're different. Yes. And the other thing is I think men have been socialized for a long time. Not Maybe maybe male friendships might not look a certain way if men were socialized differently. I mean, we historically, we've sort of had this, you know, rugged masculinity and, you know, you have a bro, but you, you kind of keep things on the surface. You're not talking about your feelings and stuff like that. And so I don't know how much how much of it is that it's the publishing thing not wanting to publish or if it's the authors not writing about it. I don't know. And it's probably both, really. I I think I've seen a couple articles recently, even like the New York Times and things about men don't have as many, especially as adults, don't have as many friendships as females do. I don't know if it's not encouraged and they think once they've gotten married that that's like... Well, I think that's one of the problems, though, is that men expect their wives. I don't know that they necessarily consciously expect their wives, but I think in a lot of situations, men sort of expect their wives to fill... Or their partners. Or their partners to fill the roles. (laughs) I mean, I know that for myself. My husband does not really... I mean, he socializes with no one. And sometimes it, I mean, that can be a weight on your partner, you know, that you live with that it's like, I, I can't be everything for you. I can't be everything for you. I shouldn't be everything for you. Mm -hmm. And I think women are much better at like, 
I may vent to my husband, but I also have three, four, five other people that I can call or text, female people that I can call and text and vent and flesh things out. Whereas with my husband, if he's having something going on that he's upset about, I am the dumpy. Yeah. You know, I don't know that that's totally healthy. And I don't think our relationship uh, is like rare. Yeah. As we're talking about this, let's just go ahead and tell okay. talk about what our Palantine or Dudentine or whatever <laughs> we want to call it pick is. Well, let me tell you. So the two books I thought of like immediately – Partly one, I just finished teaching, but Of Mice and Men mm-hmm. by John Steinbeck. That has a, a, a male friendship. And then I also thought of A Separate Piece by John Knowles a lot of times. Well, I know I read it in high school and I've taught it, but uh, that's about uh, two guys in like boarding school. But the book that I want to talk about is Mystic River by Dennis Lehane. And so this is a story of three friends who, when they're children, they experience a traumatic event. You know, this is like every parent's nightmare. A car comes along and one of them, and I can't remember if he gets in the car willingly or if he's forced into the car, but the other two don't get in the car. And so what happens to the boy who gets in the car becomes the seed of this entire novel. And while this child is not killed, but he's changed. And it's a really powerful story. starts and it's like flashbacks, and but it's also told like in the present. And you kind of see how this event changed all of their lives. And there is a really, really good movie adaptation of Mystic River. It stars Kevin Bacon, Sean Penn, and Tim Robbins. Is it kind of a like a suspense? Yes. Okay. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. It's it's good. It's good. I mean, it, it was one of those where I was like, oh, yeah, that's really good. That was a really good book. The one that came to mind immediately, and I really like this book, it's called Leonard and Hungry Paul by Ronan Hessian. And it's about these two 30-something men who both live with their parents. One, his mother recently died, so now he's living alone. And they like to play board games. They're introverts. They're nice guys. And it's sort of about them trying to find their way in the world in a society that sort of emphasizes more like power masculinity or toxic masculinity. And they're kind of boring, but quirky and interesting. And I just really loved it. Uh, We don't ever find out why Hungry Paul is called Hungry Paul. But Hungry Paul is a substitute postman. And that's what he does for a living. So he only sort of has like sporad. You get the sense that he might be on the autism spectrum. Um, but it's a really lovely little quiet book. Their friendship is really endearing. So uh, that one's Leonard and Hungry Paul by Ronan Hessian. But there's also one that you mentioned to me that had, I don't know wh- why this one didn't come to my mind mm. because it's one of my favorite books ever, but Lonesome Dove yeah. by Larry McMurtry. And the relationship between these two cowboys is just really fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a really These two good Texas book Rangers. Yeah. Like ex-Texas Rangers. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to our Galentine. So I had many, many more for Galentines, which I think you did too. I did, but, you know, my, my book jam. I'm like fantasy and dark, dark stuff. And that's not really where you find. I mean, not that you don't find friendships in those books, but not like necessarily where friendship is sort of the core of the book. So 
I wouldn't say it was easy. You know, it's not like I was like, oh, yeah, automatically. Chick, chick, chick. But I had an easier time finding female friendships than I did male. So what, what what's your first one? My first one is a book called Love and Saffron by Kim Fay. And this came out last year. It is a book that's in epistolary form. So it's in the form of letters. And it's set in the 1960s. And these letters are between a young woman named Joan who lives in Southern California and a woman named Imogene in rural Washington. And what begins is that Joan sends a fan letter to Imogene because Imogene writes a monthly food column in Pacific Monthly Magazine. And Joan is an aspiring food writer. And so she sends her a fan letter and also a little packet of saffron and kind of tells her how she would use it. And so that begins this lifelong friendship of exchanging letters. One's much older. Imogene is probably in her 60s and Joan is in her 20s, but they share recipes. They share personal things going on in their lives. And it's just a really delightful book, especially if you're a person who, you know, does like like a foodie memoir, you you get a lot of that. They talk a lot about the Hispanic influence Mm -hmm. on the scene in Southern California, which was kind of a new thing in the 60s. And Imogene doesn't know really anything about international cuisine. And so they're sharing lots of uh, ideas and cultural things. So again, that one's Love and Saffron by Kim Fay. Cool. Yeah. I, I don't know that I've seen that on your list. Was that well? You said it was just last year. Yeah, yeah. and I listened to it by audiobook, and it's a good audiobook. I don't know. You know, I read lots of books that I don't I necessarily you... talk about on the. I know. Show. Well, I, sometimes I mean, I'm just thinking like I stalk you pretty, pretty well. I thought on Goodreads, but you know, maybe you just got so many that I just <laughs> forgot about this one. Uh, I finished reading a book just like this week called Kitchen The Kitchen God's Wife by Amy Tan. I read that um, a long time ago. That is a, a backlist title, and it's the story of Winnie and Helen. So two friends, and they met in 1940s China. Their husbands were working as pilots during the Sino-Japanese War, which happened concurrently with World War II. Okay. Um, and so I, I didn't realize that was also going on. So Winnie's husband is a horrible abuser. He's just, he's awful. But Helen and her husband have this secret that Winnie only discovers several years into their friendship. So it it tells the story of how their friendship begins in the 1940s, and then sort of all the things that they go through until Winnie immigrates to the United States. So the story starts where they are in their 70s and they're, they are married or uh, have been married to other men and they live in the U.S. And Winnie has some secrets from her daughter about that time when she was in China. And so Helen tells Winnie, if you don't tell Pearl, the daughter, if you don't tell her these secrets, I'm going to tell her. Mm. And so that forces Winnie to tell Pearl about this time in Winnie's life that she has never really, that nobody knows about except Helen. So even though it is, you know, it is about secrets that mothers and daughters keep from each other because Pearl actually has a secret that she's keeping from her mother. It's really 70% of the book is about this friendship. Mm-hmm. So I I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it's... I remember loving it when I read it, but of course it's been so long ago. I didn't, until you started saying what it was about, I couldn't have told you yeah. what it was about. Yeah. So that's so. Uh, Kitchen God's Wife by Amy Tan. Very good. 
Well, my next one's called Rules for Visiting by Jessica Francis Kane. It's about a woman named May Attaway, and she is a gardener at a university. And she, in her adult life, she almost likes plants more than she likes people. I would agree with that. But she wins an award that means that she gets several weeks of paid vacation and she can go do what she wants with that time. And so what she ends up doing, she decides that she wants to reconnect with four old friends from her past. I think one is from when she was a child, a couple are from college, and I think another one might be from when she was right out of college. And she's not been in contact with these women in a long time, but she decides she wants to reconnect and she considers it her female odyssey. And so that's what this book is about is her making connections with these four old friends. It's a, again, it's another sort of quiet book that's very character driven, but also it's delightful. She's kind of a quirky character. Some of her friends are kind of quirky. It's a good one. And what's that one called again? Rules for Visiting by Jessica Francis Kane. Okay. So my next one, actually, it, when I say it, you're going to be like, really? Uh, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slain Vampires. But it's about a book club, right? <laughs> by Grady Hendrix. It is about a book club. Uh, I mean, it is very much about vampires, but it's about this group of women. Uh, they live in the same Charleston, South Carolina neighborhood. And they share a love of reading. They they like reading the same genre of books. And so at first, their relationships are kind of on the surface. You know, I mean, they meet to talk about the books, but you, you get the sense that they really don't know each other very well, and they don't feel comfortable being their authentic selves. And there's a point in the book where they sort of, they have a falling out. Because, you know, there's this Southern culture, this expectation of like propriety and things you do and you don't do. And they soon realize that if they don't put aside some of these differences about propriety and how you're supposed to treat neighbors, they're going to pay heavily. And one of the characters actually does pay heavily. But that experience of what she's dealing with helps pull some of the women together to unite to try to deal with the vampires. So I thought of this one pretty quickly, actually, because friendship is a is a big part of the story. And and without the friendship, they wouldn't be able to try to slay the vampires. So and that the name of that book, again, Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. Well I'm gonna take your vampire story and I'm gonna up you with a witch ah. friendship story. So the book Cackle by Rachel Harrison is about a young teacher named Annie who's living in New York City. She goes through a bad breakup. Her boyfriend of seven years breaks up with her. She still thinks that she's madly in love with him, but he, you know, he says it's over. So she decides to move to the small town in upstate in New York to get a new start. And she is befriended by a very charming and magnetic woman named Sophie, who everyone in town seems to be a little bit nervous and scared of. Sophie is definitely a little bit witchy. And this book is sort of what I call like a cozy scary. Uh, Sophie can be a little bit scary, but she also really seems to be quite fond of Annie. And so they develop this very unique relationship. At, At first, I wasn't sure that it was a completely healthy relationship, but this was an interesting one. So Again, the name of that is Cackle by Rachel Harrison. Mm. Yeah. Witchy, witchy. 
All right. So this, I listened to this as an audiobook. It's called Who Will Run the Frog Hospital by Lori Moore. And this story felt very nostalgic for me, even though it's set in the early 1970s when I was just a newborn. But it sort of reminded me of growing up in the 80s. So it's the story of uh, Barry and Sills. They're two teenage friends. They work part-time jobs and and have dates and did the stupid things that teens did back before social media was there to to see it all and record it all and save it for, for, posterity. for posterity. Yeah. And so it's the story of their friendship when they were teenagers and sort of what happens that causes that friendship to to sort of fall apart. And so it's Barry's sort of reflection back. She's an adult, she's in Paris, and she's looking back on this relationship. And again, it was just, it felt nostalgic. You know, I think that everybody has, especially for girls, you know, they usually have that one friend uh, during their early, you know, preteen and, and teenage years that they just have this really strong connection to. And so reading it made me think about my own friendships. Mm. So, and again, that's called Who Will Run the Frog Hospital by Lori Moore. Well, I'm going to talk about a book that actually we interviewed the author. The book is Doctors and Friends mm. by Kimory Martin. She is a, a former ER physician turned author. And all three of the books that she has written so far have been about female friendships, especially between female doctors. But for me, this one stuck out because it is, uh, it's about the connections between, I think there's seven of them, seven female physicians who all went to medical school together. They're in their own practices. They're scattered across the country, but they would get together every few years um, to do a girl's trip. And this particular year, they do a girl's trip to Spain. And while they're there, a pandemic begins. There were some sicknesses. And actually, the author, Kimry Martin, wrote this. Before COVID was a thing, she was just, you know, using her imagination, uh, but she was pretty close to what happened in a lot of ways. Uh, but this book is, it focuses mainly on three of those physicians who are in different types of medicine, but also how they support each other through this pandemic. So if you feel like you're ready that you can read a book about a pandemic, I would recommend this one because it does have a lot of, it has a lot of female love in it, mm -hmm. female connections. Uh, there's, I'm actually going to talk about a book whose author we spoke with too, The Eves oh, yeah, yeah. by Grace Salmon. This is a story about, it is a story about mothers, but it's also very much a story of friendships among older women. So like women in their seventies and eighties and even nineties in some cases, a topic that really doesn't, it doesn't get as much coverage as, you know, you, you see lots of books about Teenage friendships or early 20s or even friendships when women are moms. moms. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, it seems like in a lot of cases, books sort of hit a wall when women are in their 50s, 60s, 70s. So the protagonist is named Jessica, and she meets uh, several women who live in this sustainable community together. And she begins to see sort of how important those friendships are and how they support each other. And that sort of helps motivate her to change some things about her own life. She's she doesn't have a good relationship with her children. She she drinks too much alcohol, but seeing these and becoming part of this friendship group changes the trajectory of her life. That's so, a good one. Yeah, yeah I yeah. kind of forgot about that one. Well, my last one is historical fiction. 
It's called Remarkable Creatures by Tracy Chevalier. And in the early 1800s, people started finding fossils in England. This is based on, you know, facts along the southern coast. And one of the most well-known was a woman named Mary Anning. And she has a knack. Was she a fossil? No. No, she was a fossil hunter. (laughs) She was a fossil finder. She had a knack for finding fossils. But she was sort of born into low class. And so even though she was really good at this, she had a very hard time competing with male fossil Mm -hmm. hunters of that time. But she meets a woman, a London spinster named Elizabeth Philpott, who also has a passion for fossils. And so they form this friendship. If you like historical fiction, you sort of like that time period. I kind of like this because it also had a... um, you know, a science bent to mm-hmm. it that you sometimes don't find with historical fiction about women from that time period. So again, the name of that book is Remarkable Creatures by Tracy Chevalier. Is that the one that has a really pretty cover? Oh, no. I'm thinking Remarkably Bright Creatures. Oh, and that's a different one. Okay. Well, that's a good thing to know. That is a different book. You this know. is the one that I know, you, where they're okay. walking along the, the beach. beach. Yeah, because okay. that's, gotcha. that's where they would find a lot of the fossils gotcha. along the cliffs Okay, there. And at first, they weren't really sure what these bones were, hmm. you know. But cool. I have I have since read other things about Mary Anning, and she has a very interesting story. Okay, cool. So, Well, my last book is Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. And I think we read this for book club, didn't we? A long, long like time ago. eons ago. Eons ago, yeah. Um, so this is another story that's set in China, but this is set in the 1800s. And it follows the friendship of Lily and Snowflower, her Leitong. So this was a... a sort of a cultural thing you you, they would have a a friendship they would sort of pair you uh with somebody who is considered your emotional match and you would become uh this this lifetime friend and so in this story their friendship is almost like a marriage i mean it is they have such a deep connection to each other and one of the things I really liked about this book, I remember from from when we read it, is that, you know, sometimes historical fiction books do a really remarkable job of sort of helping you learn about the culture and the time period in which it's set. And this is one of those books. So in the case of this book, Footbinding is a really big part of this story. And so you learn a lot about footbinding and how important it was culturally in China. Um, so again, that one's called Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. Well, we have given you 10 books for your TBR that are all about friendship, perfect for Valentine's Day, and, you know, a token sprinkling of male friendship books there need to be more books written about male friendships y'all or maybe we just don't know which ones are out there and somebody needs to tell us yes tell us about all your male friendship books we're going to take another quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about some things that we've watched lately we're back and we've been watching some things they're kind of strange. Kind of str- Well, I mean, I, I, well, actually, mine was so strange. I think I just sort of, I think it fried my brain a little bit because I, I forgot <laughs> I had watched it. They both have similar titles. They do. <laughs> this is the White Noise, White Lotus segment. Yeah. 
I, we haven't actually talked about this, but I saw on your feed that you had watched a movie called White Noise, which is based on a, on a novel from the 80s by Don DeLillo, who is an author I've heard of, never read anything I, by him. I have not read anything um, by him either. But this new adaptation has one of my favorite actors, Adam Driver. But you said it blew your mind, but not well, in a good way. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I just said I think I probably should have had an edible <laughs> before I watched it. I mean, if you like strange, quirky movies, then you will like this movie. And I, and it's not that I dislike strange, quirky movies. It was just I, I watched it and I was like, what was that? You know, do you ever have movies like that yeah. where you watch it and you go, what was that? But what in what way? Um... Adam Driver's character is married, and he and his wife have a blended family. There's, like, four kids, I think. And he's a college professor, and so he's very wonky, you know, kind of up here. And his wife becomes addicted. Her daughter tells Adam Driver's character that the mom is using these pills. So partly what's going on is that the dad is trying to figure out what's going on with the wife and these pills and why is she taking them. So there's kind of that storyline. But while this is going on, there is a, a train crash and there's an explosion and there's this cloud of they don't know what. And so they're afraid that this cloud is going to come their way. And they don't know what the cloud is. Is it going to hurt them? Is it going to kill them? And so the cloud ends up coming and they have to evacuate. So so you kind of have these multiple stories going on and you're watching it and thinking, are these connected? You know, and then it'll have uh, snippets where he's in conversation with some of his college colleagues, you know, his professor colleagues, and they're talking about things that are just sort of out there, you know? It's just a very strange movie. At the end of the movie, there's this whole big scene. Like, all of the closing credits are all the characters dancing in this grocery store together. It's, again, it's very strange. And and I felt like I sort of needed... Somebody to explain it to you after? A little bit. But, you know, I was kind of reading... Again, I haven't read the book, but I think that that is sort of intentional. It's sort of like a, maybe like a satire about consumerism and I don't know. It was just very strange. I don't even know how to describe it, but. uh, You know, sometimes after you have watched a movie that's based on a book, you say, I want to read this book. I have not heard you say that about this. I haven't. Uh because it, I, I'm, I'm almost afraid that the that the book is not necessarily going to clarify things for me. <laughs> um, and I, I really like Adam Driver. Greta Gerwig plays the mom, and so I don't mind spending two hours of you know having two hours of weirdness. I'm not sure that I want to commit to like eight hours yeah, of weirdness yeah. that I'm trying to figure out. Well, I don't think you're the only one who felt that way because another book podcast I listened to, the Book Riot podcast, both of those hosts had watched the movie and had a similar, like, what the heck okay, did I good, just watch? Good. That's why I kind of wanted to talk to you about it. Okay. Well, that makes out. me feel better yeah. because I, I mean, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was definitely kept you wondering, like, what's going on? What is the point? I'm not sure I get it. Am I dumb? So the fact that other people are having a similar experience. Yes. Like, they didn't even maybe... know how to describe <laughs> okay. it. 
basically. <laughs> okay. okay. So you did a pretty good job, okay. actually. Okay, well, good, good. All right. Well, what what about you? So I have not watched White Lotus, so tell me about that. Well, White Lotus is a, a series, and it's not based on any books or anything, but it's a series that was on uh, HBO. It's won lots of Golden Globes and things. I started out watching the first season because I'd heard so many good things about it, and I really loved the first season. It's basically, White Lotus is this resort. It turns out that there are these resorts all over the world, but we start with the one in Hawaii in the first season. And it's this very fancy resort, and, and you have the a bunch of different people on a ferry over to the resort, and that's how we first meet them. And it kind of follows each of these storylines throughout the season, but it's basically all wealthy people and sort of wealthy people problems, wealthy people acting badly. It's sort of making fun of wealthy people. Mm. Chris calls it eating the rich. And I don't, there's been, you know, there's been <laughs> other series that or movies and series and things that follow that as well, but it doesn't portray rich people in a particularly good light. And so I really liked the first season. The second season, we started watching this one. Apparently, there's also White Lotus Resort in Sicily and Palermo. And so that's the setting for the second season. I did not like the second season as well. Mm. In fact, I thought that I had several more episodes because I decided I don't even know if I want to. I want to find out what happens, but I don't. Because what happens in both of these series is in the very first episode, they find a body. And you don't find out who it is until the very end. So it happens in both, which makes you think, do we really want to go to a white lotus? Because people are always dying there. You know, as we've learned from from some very wealthy people, just because you have a crap ton of money does not mean you're very bright. Yes. So I wanted to find out who who ended up dying at the end of season two, but I wasn't sure I wanted to watch the whole series because there, it made me very tense. There were things mm. that happened in season two that really kind of made me tense. Like, like why? Like, well, first of all, season one was more about power and class, the problems that they were having. The second season was like about sex and desire, I guess. But there was a lot of couples like having affairs or worried that their spouses were having affairs. Mm. There was a couple who was a, you thought was a happily married couple. And the couple that they're vacationing with has a lot of secrets and it kind of like ends up wearing off on the couple who's happy, which made me very tense for some reason. (laughs) I wasn't sure I wanted to see the end. So I read spoilers online, but I didn't find out who died. So I said to Chris, let's just watch the last episode. Which we did. And uh-huh. then I found out who, okay. who died. And I, anyway, I don't know. But the thing is, it's very split reviews. Some people really like the first season. Some people really like the second season. I'm, I vote for first season, but it's won lots of Golden Globes and, and awards and things. So, well, and, and maybe you like, if, if they're about sort of different topics, I mean, you tend to be a little, you know, in terms of, like, I'm a little bit of a prude. You're sometimes. a little bit of a prude. So, yeah. Maybe we should have had that as the opener instead of being a little bit gullible. And I'm a, a little, little bit, bit of a, of a prude. prude. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. So maybe so maybe the thing is, if it wasn't like if it was a different sort of like category, you wouldn't have felt that way. Maybe. Maybe so. Maybe I need to watch both seasons because I am not a prude. Yeah, and see which one you and like see better. Which one I, I like. guess also I felt like the characters in season one were more interesting. Mm-hmm. Than in season two, 
That just could be me and my So it's prudishness. totally different characters, or are there yes. any character? Oh. There's one character who is in both seasons. Okay. Do you know who Jennifer Coolidge yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, okay. And she kind of, I've seen her in several things. She was in The Watcher as well. She kind of plays a similar character in everything that she's in, I think. But she's also a little bit of comic relief, mm-hmm. especially in the first season. So, wait a so, minute. F. Murray Abraham. He's in the second season. Oh, okay. He was probably my favorite character. Okay, because I like him. Yeah, I, he was probably my favorite character in season two, but most of the characters in season two are not very likable. Okay. Well, um, I might give it a whirl at some point. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I say that it's about rich people. And to be honest, mainly white rich people. Oh. I'm trying to think if there are any minorities. In the first season, there's one minority, but she's like, it's like a family who goes on vacation and mm-hmm. one of the teen daughters can bring a friend and mm-hmm. she brings a friend who's a person of color. She's the only one. So it's about white people, white rich people. Acting like D-bags. Yeah. And privileged mm-hmm. and not really understanding their own privilege. Yeah. Well... I mean, I am certainly not rich. I mean, like, not rich enough, like, like what these people, mm-hmm. but I get enough of sort of that white privilege just from neighborhood associations yeah. and HOA. So I'm not sure I would, I think it would just, it might just tick me off. I won't even go there. We had a, we had an HOA meeting <laughs> last week and I, I just, I don't even want to bring it up because it'll make my blood pressure go up. I just need to know, Carrie, what have you added to your TBR lately? All right. Let's what, your TBR this week. All right. What did I add? Well, okay. I will say I did add white noise Ah, to my TBR. No, no, no. Oh. I did add it. Okay. That doesn't mean that I'll read it, but I did add it. I added We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman, which I think didn't Sam Sam talked about about that. Mm -hmm. Well, Sam Miller, our favorite bookseller. Yeah, from about that with our holiday episode. Well, here's what I realized. I have actually read one of her books before. Catherine Newman's. And I sort of forgot that I had read it. She has a book called Waiting for Birdie, A Year of Frantic Tedium, Neurotic Angst, and the Wild Magic of Growing a Family. Oh, okay. Um, So I had read that. Now, that was published in 2005. So I had read that, and I thought, oh, well, I have read one of her books, so I'll, I'll add that one. So I added that one. I added Atalanta by Jennifer Saint. What is that? That is a retelling. Uh, Atalanta, it's a Greek myth. Okay. And so I had read Ariadne by Jennifer Saint. And so Atalanta was a huntress and the only woman in the Argonauts. Okay. So I was like, oh, well, that's... Because here's the thing, and I think I've talked about this. I had heard of Atalanta, but... I don't remember, you know, like, I'm I'm like, okay, Greek myth, I know that. But beyond that, I don't really remember, like Edith Hamilton's book, where you get these small little myths don't stick with me. But if I read a whole book about them, then I'm like, oh, I feel like I retain the story better. And then I added Everyone Knows Your Mother is a Witch by Rivka Galchin. And I don't know why I added that. (laughs) Why did That's I okay. That you one? don't need to know. Oh, you know what? I think I do know why. I listened to the uh-huh. To Be Read List podcast, and one of the hosts mentioned this book, Everyone Knows Your Mother is a Witch, a novel by Rivka Galchin. And it is a novel, but it's about Johann Kepler's mother. Oh, okay. And I thought, oh, again, science. Wait, who's Johann Kepler? 
Uh, as, as astronomy. Oh, okay, okay, okay. The name was familiar, but I yeah. couldn't place it. Somewhere. Uh, mathematician, okay. mathematician, and and uh, studied the planets, and so I was like, ooh, you know, a little bit of science, witches and science all together in one. Oh, novel. I remember them talking about yeah. that book. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. and so I was like, ooh, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. So that that was another one. What Very about good. you? I added one called The Line Tender by Kate Allen, and I added it because uh, one of our former guests, Tyler Miller, uh, who runs Reluctant Reader Books and writes books for reluctant middle grade readers, I saw that he had recently read this and he raved about it. And I don't know all that it's about, but you you will not be surprised. It's middle grade. It's about a girl whose parents are marine biologists and her mother dies. And this girl wants to continue her mother's research about sharks. I'm not surprised. You're not surprised because it has to do with animals. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of my it seems to be my jam mm-hmm. recently. Another one I added was recommended by the author Silas House on his feed called Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. And this is a book set in Northern Ireland between a young woman who I believe is Catholic. And she has an affair with a barrister who is married, but he also defends IRA members. So that's all I know. But he said that it was one of his favorite books so far that he'd read this year. So I added it, Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. I have a bunch more, but that's all I'm going to say. Oh, and maybe The Red-Headed Pilgrim by Kevin Maloney, because Uh he is going to be at Carmichael's Books. I don't really have any idea what this is about, but it's got a bear on the cover. (laughs) It sounded interesting, The Red-Headed Pilgrim. That's all I know. (laughs) You choose books the way I choose bottles of wine. The cover? The cover. The cover matters. Oh, yeah, I like the cover. Oh, well, then there also was that field work, a forager's memoir that had a big picture of a, a mushroom, mushroom yep. on it by Ileana Regan. And I think she's a chef. I don't know, but I added it. I don't remember why. I saw somebody talk about it. And you saw that I added it and you made you made a snarky comment on my Goodreads. I did. I'm like, I am so shocked. <laughs> Well, Carrie, it has been another entertaining hour and so with you. That's all I got to say. Yep. That's my contribution. (laughs) Happy Galentine's Day. (laughs) For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.